G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. It's show number 158. We've got a very interesting show for you today. Bob McMillan is off the chain. Now, Bob and I have a very interesting relationship. I look up to Bob and I listen to what he says, and he's got years of experience in thinking about what goes on and how things happen. And he's forgotten more about some of the things that have gone wrong and uh, probably knows where a few of the bodies are buried in the industry etc etc and when Bob speaks I think only a fool doesn't listen so he was telling me how he's unhappy with uh, the way things are going with this closing the loopholes bill and uh, he's unhappy with what Michael Kane had to say and he listened to the Wednesday Night Live show and he uh, he wasn't 100% happy with what Senator Stirl had to say and I said, well, Bob, why don't you tell us what you really think? Well, he did. Uh, he, he's unleashed and fired a couple of barrels. Now, I, uh, I don't entirely agree with everything that Bob says, but I find it very, very hard to disagree with it as well. And it, it makes it hard because he makes a lot of sense. Like Bob, I don't remember ever being told that the transport thing was going to be part of an omnibus bill. Uh, I always was under the impression that our legislation for the reformation of of uh, transport would be a separate bill. So to hear Bob say that as well sort of gives me a little bit of heart because I wasn't obviously the only one that thought about that. Now, he also has a bit to say about a lot of other stuff uh, in and around that, that, that bill, and I'll leave it to him to say what he thinks. And just remember that we support free speech on this platform. So uh, if you agree with Bob, great. If you disagree with him, that's great too. Have your say, ring in and uh, tell me or email me at mike at au, and let me know what you think. Andy is in with uh, Nathan Lamont for an interview. I'm going to play one of his tracks. Felicity Urquhart and Josh Cunningham will be taking us out of the show with one of their tracks. We're going to roll straight into it with the news and... Uh, you know, we'll fit Bob in there after the news and that'll be that. All right. Grab yourself a bevy and sit down or set the cruise control. Let's get on with the show. Kermy here from Trucking with Kermy. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermy on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. Here on the road, it's time for the news. Morning, Mike. Good morning, mate. How are you? Doing all right, thank you. A bit confused. Cold, hot, cold. I had no idea what season we're in. I think it's supposed to be spring. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, That's no, good. we're heading towards some unseasonably hot weather down here, according to the Weather Bureau. Oh, good. So it's going to it's going to get to thirty degrees down here apparently in Sydney this this week. So oh, good. Are we going to get some unprecedented weather bombs as well? Mate? I think we are. I think we are some un- <laughs> unprecedented, unseasonably hot weather. 
Yeah. So, you know, girls will be out in their little sundresses and the boys will be in their shorts and things like that. It's going to be terrible, you know, terrible. I don't know how we'll survive. Or as it is in this day and age, something of a combination of both, probably. Mm. Anyway, Mm. that's the weather. But, yeah. Yeah. News we're not going to talk about. News we're not going to talk about. The e-canter sales boom locally and abroad has sort of taken off. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, Ben's is sort of teasing us with an e-actros. There's a surprise. Trailer sales have marked 40 years in the business. Uh, safety first with the new Scania dashboard. We're not going to talk about Scania's new dashboard. Uh, my trucking's been around for nine years. Oscool have filled the cold chain gap, so that's nice. I'm glad someone's filled the gap there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the August report shows the return to form for truck sales. Apparently, uh, we're all excited about uh, the number of trucks that have been sold. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm there you excited. Go. Uh, are you excited? I'm excited. I can hear one hand clapping. Can't you tell? <laughs> I can tell, mate. You're starting to wiggle. I can tell. As you know, as you know, I'm currently writing my music column for the next issue of Tracking Life and looking forward to that. Yep. And while I was doing some research about some of the real long-time music legends, I came across a recorded conversation between three, shall we say, ageing rock stars. Right. Talking about some of the gifts that have been given to them by fans over the years. Right. Conversation was recorded in the home studio owned by Roger, Roger Daltrey, the singer from The Who. Right. Now, Daltrey shows off his custom-built Tommy pinball machine that was given to him by the Prime Minister of Sweden. And he says he loved the Tommy musical so much he had it specially made. The balls and all the metal parts are made from solid silver. Right. Paul McCartney says, well, hey, that's nothing. And he pulls this little jewellery box out of his pocket to reveal a 24-carat gold beetle encrusted with a giant emerald and says, this was a gift from the Emperor of Japan because he was a huge fan of the Beatles. So then Mick Jagger chimes in and says, well, check this out, fellas. Out of his pocket, he produces a stale old half-eaten hamburger bun and says, this was given to me by the Crown Prince of Morocco. Right. Daltrey and McCartney burst into hysterical laughter and Jagger says, hey, I know it's only a Moroccan roll, but I like it. I like it. Yes, I do. <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't worth the wait, was it? It was not worth the wait, dude. No. Do something constructive. Oh. Let's get on with the news. Let's do it. As part of the Strategic Local Government Asset Assessment Project, well, there's a genuine tongue twister right there. Yep. Ideas and feedback are being called for in regard to priority heavy vehicle routes on local government roads across the nation. Do we say routes or routes? I can I never know what's the right. <laughs> uh, routes, uh, routes, I think. Routes works for me. <laughs> it's, it does, doesn't it? Oh, mate, the NHVR is saying that it will better support road freight operators to optimise their journey. Why do they have to use all these words? Why yeah. do they take 45 words to say what they can say in five? I don't, mm. I don't understand. No. I mean, priority truck routes, uh, is that where we're just not going to get held up by traffic? Certainly the M7 won't be a priority truck route, will it? No. Uh, I mean... I don't know about any of this sort of stuff. They they say that they're going to put all this stuff on their spatial platform on the NHVR portal and validate the priority heavy vehicle routes with local government road managers, blah, 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 you know? Give me a break. Mm. Everyone knows where the roads are. Yeah. 
everyone knows, but you've only got to look at a map. You know, we've got maps. Yeah. And uh, everyone knows which roads the trucks use uh, because, you know, there are plenty of speed cameras and highway patrol and NHVR officers running around. I mean, you can only, only got to look at where the fatigue accidents happen. That's a pretty good route map right there. Yeah. Uh, I, look, I don't want to sound negative about all this stuff and we've got to have a certain amount of data, but dear Lord, this stuff just goes too far. It really yeah. does. The Strategic Local Government Asset Assessment Project. Uh, don't they just sort of assess the assets when they build them? Don't they do that? You'd think so. You would. It'd make sense. It'd make yeah. sense. And then, of course, when they maintain them, although they don't do much of that these days, the idea is to assist a whole of journey network improvement. Yeah, mm. okay. Mate, I hate to sound cynical, but God, let's go, mate. I can't stand that anymore. It's terrible. Perhaps it's time for another round table. Mate. Maybe we should. A robust conversation. <laughs> round yeah, table. Let's set up another committee. That'll fix it. It will. Yep. It always works. <laughs> Mike, it seems the subject of Big Brother-type cameras comes up just about every week in the news. Mm. We now have a number of cameras being installed throughout the Forbes region this week at 21 intersections and 15 road midpoints. Yep. They're, uh, they're just to collect data, though. They're not for enforcement purposes. They're just to collect data. Yeah. So right. the, the enforcement stuff, and maybe it's to do with this other lead regional road assessment project they're doing before. Maybe they're sort of tying in with that. I, I don't know. But we've had cameras uh, appearing in all sorts of places, like down Foreshore Road, down the port, down at the uh, at the crossing of the, uh, the river, down at Gundagai, cameras on the ends of the bridges there. We've seen these things with the solar panels and the, and the cameras set up on them, appearing all over the place. They're just yep. to collect data. They're not for surveillance. So uh, apparently, uh, they're talking no. about when the data is going to be collected in twenty four hours. Uh, twenty four hours on Thursday, September twenty four. Uh, six locations are going to be monitored for passive days. There's a great long list of where these cameras are going to be. So, I mean, if you want to go and have a look at bigrigs.com.au, and you'll see a story there about just this subject, they have a big long list there of where all these cameras are going to be. I don't think anyone really cares too much about it. it just, I just find it wildly amusing that Alastair Lunn, the uh, Transport for New South Wales Director West, has stressed the cameras are not collecting personal information or assessing driver safety. <coughs> uh-huh. <coughs> sorry. Um, so, someone no. gets stuck there, mate. <coughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Next, really, if you th if you think about it, mate, if, yeah. if it's just to collect data, yep, why would they need cameras? Why wouldn't they just put those strips across the road or something like that? Because you don't need to spend ten million dollars to do that. No, <laughs> employ someone to sit there on the side of the road and count the numbers. Sit yeah. there on a little collapsible chair with a notepad and a pen. I don't think some of our school leavers would be able to manage that, mate. Somehow. Oh, you get a retired truckie or something, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Anyway, there you go. Well, still on the subject of smile, you're on candid cam. <laughs> 14 new mobile phone and seatbelt cameras are now in place around Tasmania with more on the way to nab non-compliant drivers. Oh, yes, because we can't, we can't enforce the law with police these days. Welcome to the club, Tasmania. 
Welcome to the club where everything is caught they're, on they're camera. They're collecting data, aren't they? No, no, these ones are collecting data. <laughs> just, just, the data is a fine in the shape of a fine. Police, yeah. uh, police in Tasmania have said that they trialled the new cameras and captured drivers breaking the law at a rate of one every 7.6 minutes. They're criminals, those Tasmanians, aren't they? Well, mate, convicts. <laughs> 43 hours. Tasmania's new mobile phone detection, detection cameras captured 339 people doing the wrong thing. Goodness. Uh, I don't know. Transport Minister Michael Ferguson said it upsets him to share these figures with you and holding a printout of some of the images taken by the cameras during the press conference in Hobart to launch the cameras road safety campaign. Um, they're talking about turn your phone off, click your buddy seatbelt up and put your cam- put your phone away. Look, I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't want people using their phones and no. you know, wearing seatbelts is probably a good idea. Uh, there's a whole philosophical argument you can have about all that, though, like wearing the seatbelt thing. 339 people photographed during the test. Uh, had they been fined, the fines would have totaled $132,000 to the Tasmanian government in just over 40 hours. Uh, they are emphasising the government, want to raise, they don't want to raise fines and penalties, uh, but they will do that if it helps us to get the message out. No, they'll do it because that's what they do. Yeah, uh, it's just another way to uh, enforce rules and and do that sort of thing. Trucking informants in Tasmania are saying that the locations of camera, the cameras have been a hot topic on the, on the UHFs. And uh, my brother drives down there, and uh, he even told me about, rang me up to tell me about it. So <laughs> there you go. Oh dear, oh dear, it's just bloody terrible. And cameras, cameras, cameras is the only answer apparently. Catch yep. on the camera. Yes. Well, what, what was his name? Eastman. He's got a lot to answer for, hasn't he? Mm, indeed. Wasn't Wasn't he the one that invented the Kodak or whatever? I think. So oh, I the whole damn thing. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Well, my tongue firmly in cheek when I say we've got great news for truckies travelling across the border from Queensland into New South Wales mm. with the announcement that fines of over a million dollars or even possibly a stint in jail if you don't have the correct paperwork, yep. all as a result of a fire ant outbreak at Talabudgera on the Gold Coast. Talabudgera. Fire ant mm. Talabudgera. When I moved from North Queensland down to Adelaide many years ago, I mm. uh, I had half a dozen pot plants. Not pot plants, but like house plants. No. You know? <laughs> Just to clear that up. On yeah, the, on the back seat this? of my car. And, mm-hmm. I, and I and I drove we drove all the way down and I went through the uh, the um, plant checking station near Oodlawira there, mm. and the guy was they happened to be there they were rarely there but they happened to be there, and the guy said said oh yeah. no we hey sorry as luck would have it as luck yeah. would have it they happened to be there, and uh, and the, the guy had a look at the plants and he said where have you come from with those and I said cans mate. And it was, look, it was almost like I dropped a bomb, you know, the way mm. it started carrying on. He said, oh, we're going to have to confiscate all those. There could be fire ants. I said, mate, those plants have been sitting on the back seat of my car for like four days. If there mm. were fire ants in there, I'd probably know about it by now. You'd know about it, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, mm. no, they had to confiscate all the plants and they wanted to, you know, destroy it all. Just, just 
diabolical it is. Bloody ridiculous. Now, <laughs> fire ants are not a nice thing. We, we, I'm not trying to suggest that fire ants are in any way, shape or form a good thing because they're not. They're, they're, they're terrible things. But to be blaming the truckies for not having the right paperwork, perhaps we should be looking a little bit further up the chain. Unfortunately, uh, the truckies probably don't uh, have the ability to make sure that the paperwork's correct. And, uh, you know, we're looking at things like earth-moving equipment and stuff like that that hasn't been washed properly. Uh, that could be part of it. But it just seems that uh, some of these fines are a little bit over the top. Let's send someone to jail for, you know, some fire ants. We can't stop well, things from getting around, dollars. can we? Sorry? Yeah, over a million dollars. Yeah, you can't stop these things from getting around. We didn't have these uh, varroa mites in in Australia, the ones that are now destroying beehives all over the place. Mm. Um, or in fact, the mites aren't destroying the beehives. The beehives are being ordered to be destroyed by the Agriculture Department. Mm. Uh, it was people on the news there just the other night 700 of their hives, their entire business has been destroyed with these mites uh, because of the mites and because of the fact they've got to destroy all their hives. Um, yeah. These things have been brought in from overseas. Australia is one of the countries that didn't have these mites. Now we do. Uh, it's a function of the fact that when we import things, we can't check everything and insects being insects and you know Darwin... The Darwinian principles survive very well. The toughest survive and they, they, they migrate any way that they can. I mean, let's face it, look at all the different species of birds and things on the Galapagos Island. They didn't get there, you know, they didn't get there by accident. Somehow or another, they managed to get there. They weren't there originally, but they managed to get there. And all these mites and fire ants and all that sort of thing managed to travel around all on their own. That's what they do. Of course, unless you're stupid enough like Queensland and bring these bloody cane toads and things in. It's just beggar's belief. I don't blame the truck drivers for any of that stuff and I don't see why they should be targeted alone. Anyway, that's just my opinion. All these backpacking bugs, mate. Backpacking bugs, that's right. Mm. That's right. Queensland's mm. Agriculture Minister Mark Ferner has announced a national fire ant eradication program. Good luck with that, mate. Another one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, guys, if you're coming across the border, make sure you fill out your form number 27, section yeah. 4, subparagraph yeah. 21, question number 3, where it says, have you done an accurate head count on fire ants on your load? <laughs> Just to make sure you don't get a million-dollar-plus fine or go to jail. Just make sure you have You mentioned cane. Sorry, I mentioned yeah. cane. Don't you, you mentioned you mentioned cane toads. Maybe we should see if we can train the cane toads to eat fire ants and then we could send them all down there. There you go. You can have the lot. I don't think you can train cane toads to do very much at all. I've taught some how to play golf. <laughs> no, you can't say that. You're supposed to put them in the freezer and euthanize them. Oh, okay. Euthanize them You're humanely. Right. I've found that a 7-9 does much the same thing. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Mm. Mike, in a recently released 40-page probe by Transport for New South Wales, glaring gaps and shortcomings in the New South Wales rest area network have been pinpointed by truckies. Now, there's a surprise. I'm colour me, me amazed that 
we've got yeah. glaring holes. There's been feedback probing from and pinpointing from, though. That sounds painful. Pinpointing, yes, yeah, it's like a bit probing. like a bit like probing. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. There's a whole joke probing about there's a whole joke about probes, you know. With, with you know, if anything, yeah. I'm not going to go into that. I probably shouldn't. No, no. Save that for another time. Save that for another time. <laughs> Uh, there's feedback from five industry focus groups, Road Freight New South Wales, Nat Road, Livestock and Bulk, Livestock, Bulk and Rural Carriers Association, Lynn Fox, who now apparently qualified as an industry focus group, and the National Road Freighters Association. Uh, there were also 104 online survey responses collected between January and March. Uh, I'm interested to see that Lynn Fox as a company are now an industry focus group but anyway that's uh, as opposed to all the others who in fact represent a number of people I'm pointing out the obvious here mm. I don't know 90% mm. of participants identified there would still be a substantial gap in rest areas uh, didn't matter what happened 65% mm. of the participants noted the quality of the rest areas either poor or very poor like none of this stuff is a surprise it it just it amazes me that we've got to go over these things. We've got to do all these things over and over and over and over and over and dare I say it over again, get the same answers and then nothing happens. Yeah. The uh, the stakeholder report for August 2023 is out and about from Transport New South Wales. Uh, in the Sydney metro area, uh, are you ready for this? In the Sydney metro area, Port Botany, Blacktown, Eastern Creek were identified as areas requiring rest stops or improvements, among several others. Wow. Further afield, the M1 between Sydney and Newcastle, the Hume Highway in general, were flagged as problem areas for truckies. Excuse me, but we've been saying this for ages. In fact, the last time I spoke with Jenny Atchison about that before the election, I pointed out to her that Port Botany was an issue. Now, on yep. Port Botany, uh, just specifically for dangerous goods vehicles down there, there is no parking for dangerous goods vehicles in the port at all at present, unless it's actually on site where they're going. And those people that have the sites there where you load or unload your dangerous goods vehicles don't want you hanging around on site because they simply don't have the space there for trucks to rest. So, yep. Kieran Wood and I, who Kieran is uh, on the board of the National Road Freighters Association, and I went and had a meeting with Ports and Transport for New South Wales down there to talk about getting some access to the marshalling area. And everything was, everything's fine until the council said, we've got to go do a whole new uh, assessment, we've got to do a DA, we've got to have a big plan, a big thing about the fact that the fact that there's dangerous goods all over the place is immaterial, we've got to go and do another assessment and uh, then of course they want to find out how they're going to charge the truck drivers to use the rest area get that yeah how they're going to charge us to use the rest area we don't get charged to use rest areas anywhere else in the country but they want to charge us to use the rest area so is it about their little bit of profit or is it about the safety of the community and truckies, but the general community at large. Yeah, I think maybe the former, yeah. Rod Hanafy's the president of the National Road Freighters Association, has been turning the focus on rest areas for many, many years. He's done lots and lots of work on this. 
he understands that Austroads uh, are a not-for-profit organisation, uh, road transport and traffic agencies uh, are receiving some funding, talking about guidelines and things like that. There's something going very, very wrong here, he says, and I agree. We're giving a lot of people a lot of money to do the stuff that's already been done for free, and then they won't listen to us anyway. And he's saying yep. that he's frustrated with it. He's not the only one. We had Glenn Stirl on the show last Wednesday night, and we talked about the closing the loopholes bill, obviously. But at the end, we got to rest areas, and we're talking about rest areas. He said that there are a number of submissions that have been put into the rest area committee that uh, he's chair of, uh, looking for funding to do rest areas. But this has been going on now for over a year. Over a year. And we don't have anything. We don't have a, we don't have a shovel in the ground. I, I've offered to help him shovel something because, good Lord, if it doesn't happen by the end of the year, it's going to cost me a box of bottles. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, because I bet on this, I had faith in this, I had faith in the plan. But it seems to yeah. me that at, at sometimes it's all committees and garden paths. And as my mate uh, Bob McMillan will say, they're just sending you up bush tracks, mate. Uh, yep. It just seems to me that there's not a lot going on. Uh, Hanifi said he's glad that the rest area report's finally out, but it doesn't seem to provide the next step. And, and that's the problem. There is no next step. We've got a report now. We've had reports before. We've got a report. There's been a survey. The problems have been identified. Everyone knows where they are. What we've got to do now is have some action. We want a plan of some action. There's plenty of money out there apparently to do this stuff. But no one has got a clue of how to do anything. It's like we're all standing around now just admiring the problem. You know, no one has got to get up and go to go and do something. It just frustrates mm. the hell out of me. I'm not, I know I'm not the only one. You know, no. it, I, I'm damn sure that everyone listening to me waffle and talk about this now, as I've done for quite some time, are saying, nothing's happening, Mick. That's right. Nothing is happening. Get on to your local members, ring your councillors up, send them a letter, be respectful and tell them you want them to do something. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what needs to happen now. We've got to get in there and rag them up and buddy, tell them what's going on. While we don't say anything, you know, nothing will happen. Well, all that probing and pinpointing, mate, that's, which is a very painful thing. We might have to file that under the... Tell us something we don't already know, category. Oh, mate, it's definitely that. Participants are saying that, can, okay, I, I've got, I can't stop, I've got it. We've been telling okay. these clowns, <laughs> we've been telling yeah. these clowns that we need to plan properly. You know that they've got the whole Badgerys Creek thing out there, that industrial estate out there, no plan for truck parking at all. Truck parking has never even come into the equation. <laughs> Sorry, mate. There's got to be one. There's got to be one in there somewhere, man. I mean, the, the, our erstwhile prime minister was telling us for a long time that he had all these plans. He must have a plan oh, there for that somewhere oh, as well, buddy. Everyone's got a plan. Everyone's got a plan. We'll plan to put a camera up and find the crap out of you that way. <laughs> That's the plan. Good cynical Mike's back. <laughs> all right, I'm going to call you on that one. Made right. any uh, any breaking news? No breaking news, mate. No, no it, it won't be breaking news once we've done it. But we've got the classic on this last weekend. Uh, well, by the time you've heard this, we'll have been mm. out there. We'll be looking forward to uh, what do we got coming up? We've got the um, convoy for kids in in 
the Illawarra I-98 Convoy for Kids. We've got the Dane Ballinger Show up at Bathurst. We've got the Convoy for Kids coming up in Brisbane. We've got Kempsey Truck Show. We've got Lights on the Hill. You know, all these things are coming up. Uh, Truck and Life will be represented at, at pretty much all of those things, I, I believe, at the moment. Uh, if it's not me, it'll be Craig or Yogi or someone. And uh, we hope to catch up with you there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, mate, to, uh, to finish us up, thought for the week for you? Please. We're supposed to know everything the government does. That's why they're called public servants. Meanwhile, they're supposed to know virtually nothing about us. That's why we're called private individuals. That's working out quite well, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I can't. I can't say anything now. I'll start coughing. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we'll just leave that for people to think about. Something in that for all of us, mate. Indeed there is. All right, buddy. Catch you next week. See ya. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Hi there, this is Bob McMillan. <clears throat> I'm on record in a text message to uh, Craig, Yogi and Mike on um, Wednesday night that uh, was not used in the program, which is fair enough, that's their call. Uh, I told them in that message that I found the uh, interview with Michael Kane on last week's uh, podcast uh, totally underwhelming. It took 45 minutes to try and justify what I see as an unjustifiable position. I don't think he even needed four and a half minutes, 10% of that, to tell us what we already suspected that we'd been sold out in amongst 800 pages of bureaucratic gobbledygook. To make matters worse, Senator Stirl was on um, Wednesday night live last night, and while I've got a great deal of respect and owe Senator Stirl a debt of gratitude for his help in the uh, reunion at Alice Springs, I still think that all our politicians, regardless of which side of the fence they're on or which side of the fence we're on, need to be held accountable. And um, what I'd like to say is this. All the speeches in, in the uh, Senate, whether from Senator Stirl or anyone else, all the uh, uh, platitudes along the way from the TWU and the cosied up industry mates, um, especially the uh, RTO and um, uh, Nat Road and the uh, NRFA, where they seem to have sold their members out, as far as I'm concerned, by not coming up with their own positions and uh, insisting on um, 
some conciliation towards their way of thinking. Anyway, uh, all the uh, platitudes, all the speeches, all the lead-up uh, had me concerned all along. And if you go back a few uh, a few pages or a few episodes, if you like, in the podcast and also a couple of Saturday Night Lives where I spent time with Mike, you'll see where I said that the lack of transparency had me concerned. And that lack of transparency had me smelling a rat. Well... The rat's alive and well, and uh, it was revealed to us the day the uh, closing the gap legislation was um, <coughs> made public, because nowhere that I can tell, and I've listened back on things and read things and press releases and everything else, that nowhere at any stage were we specifically told or even led to believe or made to wonder that what we've been waiting for as far as improvements in the uh, problems the industry faces We're going to be part of an omnibus bill, as they call it, uh, that was going to uh, render sweeping change right through the whole industrial relations system. I might be naive. I know I'm getting on a bit, but uh, I'm uh, not short of a bit of experience. And uh, despite the fact that a couple of people out there in the the background think I'm nothing but a whinger, I think my achievements uh, speak to more than that. Uh, and I'm not going to sit here trying to justify my achievements or my position like politicians and senators and union heavies do. I, uh, I'm pretty well aware of the fact that I think we were quite justified, myself and anyone else who thinks the same, and I know there are, are people out there who do, uh, were expecting and entitled to expect targeted legislation in our very own space, specific to our industry, our importance of the scheme of things, and the needs that the industry has. While I disagree that the industry is in crisis, and I suspect that maybe the TWU and its mates are, uh, I still believe there are things that need fixing, and they should be fixed. And they're not going to be fixed for a very long time, if at all, as part of an omnibus bill. And and I'm sorry, but that's the truth. And uh, if uh, Michael Caine or Senator Stirl or anyone else thinks that I'm a pariah or a negative so-and-so or whatever saying this, well, uh, so be it. I'll, 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 I'll put my hand up. If they want a pariah, I'll be the pariah. I don't care because I deal in the truth. And the truth is that we were not specifically told or led to believe in any way, shape or form that we were going to be part of 800 pages. You know, and how many pages uh, were devoted to our industry? One, possibly two. It'd be nice if Senator Stirl or Michael Caine or some other uh, person involved could let us know what page numbers to look at rather than have to wade through the whole bloody lot. But that won't be happening, I'm sure. As I say, I have the greatest respect for the people involved, but I totally, uh, I'm totally blown away by the audacity, the negativity and the stupidity of it all because we're entitled to have specific legislation, industry-targeted, problems of our industry targeted and timely solutions, not waiting down the road for committees to be appointed and approved and then commissioners and, well, we'd probably have to deal with the commissioners anyway, but we should have our own commissioners and they should be part of, like I said, targeted legislation. I do not know and I don't think anyone can tell us how long it will take for all the bumps and speed bumps and hoops and hollers that are going to, and, and, and roundabouts that are going to come up to, towards this legislation with us chucked in with the rest of industry and the rest of the uh, Labor Party doctrine and, and uh, agenda. We need a bipartisan agenda. We don't need something that's going to be chucked out the minute there's a change in Parliament. 
you know, what happens if, if this government, if the Albanese government is a, is a one-term government? We're back to tours. And probably worse than that, we'd be back behind tours. And by the way, Senator Stirl thinks it's great that we've got all the who's who of what's wrong with the industry involved in this so-called industry unity. I'm not quite so confident that uh, it's going to end up how we want it to, or even very nice, because uh, leopards don't change their spots, and plenty of rats desert sinking ships. Please prove me wrong, the lot of you, that at this stage, I'm not happy. Thanks for listening. G'day, Andy here, this week bringing you a fresh new voice on the Aussie music scene. Now, when I say new, he's been around for a little while, having originally come to our attention appearing in Season 5 of The Voice on TV, but he's only relatively recently thrown his heart and soul into his music career. Growing up in the New South Wales country town of Wagga, he began his journey into music very early on when, at just nine years of age, he entered a country music talent quest, performing the bush ballad Down for South Australia. One of 22 siblings, he says he was in and out of the foster care system and a childhood he describes as turbulent. He left home at 16 and set out on his own to chase his dreams, teaching himself to play guitar and earning a position on Young Talent Time before going on to become a two-time finalist at the prestigious Toyota Starmaker competition in Tamworth. It was here he came to the attention of Aussie music legend Keith Urban, who took him under his wing and became his mentor helping him to refine and develop his obvious skills and talent. Now his music is described as cutting-edge country pop and he's just recently released his debut single titled Drink You Up, a romantic ode to his wife that showcases his earnest lyric writing and his captivating vocals. Our guest this week is a young man we're going to be hearing a lot more of in the years to come. It's my very great pleasure to introduce you to Mr Nathan Lamont. Nathan, thanks for joining us on the road today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on here. Mate, one of 22 kids in your family, <laughs> you had a pretty challenging time of it in your early years. At what stage did you decide you had something special within you and that music was the direction you wanted to pursue in your life? Like you said, 22 siblings, in fact. Okay. Yeah, so that, that means like across the board, there's, there's 22 siblings of mine. Six of them passed away before I was even born, in fact. Okay. But music was always uh, something I was surrounded by growing up. A lot of my family are actually musicians or singers themselves. So there was no particular point for me where I, you know, there was not like a light bulb moment. Well, probably actually when I was on stage was the light bulb moment. I think I was pushed to get on stage by my stepmother, Millie, who um, mothered 12 of my siblings. Okay. Very dear to me, Millie. She was pretty much the mother that my mother couldn't be due to mental health reasons. Right. But for me, you know, growing up, I was just completely surrounded by it. So I was kind of blessed in that way. I was encouraged and pushed to get on stage around nine. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I was on stage up at the Tamworth Country Music Festival, in fact. I was watching the video earlier of you performing on The Voice a bunch of years back now. A very, very youthful looking Nathan, I must say. <laughs> How was the experience for you, mate? Yeah, look, it, it was great. I look back on it quite positively. You know, I did The Voice twice, in fact. Right. Did it in 2014, and I did it again in 2016. And um, first time around, I didn't turn any chance, unfortunately. Mm. But I did have the backing of Keith, you know, Keith Urban at the time. 
he was providing a bit of mentorship for me and you know he left quite a lovely video message for me ahead of my audition i think the nerves just got the better of me though right unfortunately i didn't turn a chair that time around but it was it was you know like the, the treatment that you get on those shows in particular the voice I, I think you know having experienced a few other shows i can say you know second to none you know they, they were really lovely mm. second time around i was lucky enough to turn a chair Actually, I, I turned two chairs second time around, so I was, you know, I was pleased just with the result. Given the first time around, I didn't turn any. Right. You know, behind the scenes, it gives you a good uh, experience. Just ha- having an understanding for how those shows work. I think looking back on it now, I probably wasn't ready. You know, I, I think at the time, yeah, you know, it's difficult to put words to, but I think you know, at the time, I wasn't clear on on who I was as an artist. Sure. I was going through a bit of an identity crisis in terms of my sound and, and brand. I think I had had a little bit more life experience that I had to acquire. And, you know, I think I've gotten to that point now, but back then I just, I was struggling as to what artist I wanted to be. You know, I had, had so many influences growing up. Country was obviously a big part of that, but I also had various other interests as well. And I think I wasn't set on whether or not I was going to be a country artist or not, funny enough. Sure. For me, I always had country in my in my blood and bones. But I think it got to that point where I was just, you know, in my early 20s, I think, like I said, I just need to do a bit more living and a bit more writing. And, you know, I think writing is probably the key for me. I wasn't writing all that much at the time. It got to the start of the year. This year, hit a wall at 30 and realized, you know, I really need to tweak who I am as an artist. And I just started writing a whole bunch of songs. And through that, I you know, emerged this sound. But the voice at the time, I think they did what they could with me. But I, I really needed to go off and do the journey and discover who I was before I kind of go on and, and broadcast my sound and my voice to the wider audience. Yeah. So I think for me, it was looking back on it, a very positive experience. And it's just part of the journey for me. You know, I think if I was to go back on now, I definitely feel as though I would do a lot better just knowing who I am as an artist and knowing my sound and understanding what it is that I want to put forward for the broader audience. It's a really fantastic platform for, for artists that have already got a really good idea of who they are. And you don't even necessarily need to go on and win. Yeah. You literally get the opportunity to go on and sing in front of millions of people. Mm. But now that I'm 30, now that I've been doing a whole bunch of writing and spending the time and the energy and the focus on my music, I'm in a really good spot now and I'm confident with the sound that I'm putting forward. I'm confident with who I am as an artist and, and I think that'll resonate as well with, with the broader Australian population. Yeah, for sure. Now, I think in your first audition, you actually recorded a Keith Urban song, which was pretty brave of you. How did you actually come about meeting Keith and him offering to give you some mentoring? That's pretty amazing. Yeah, look, I was very lucky. I think I was just in the right place at the right time. I was a part of a school-based talent development project, and they kind of encourage young performers that go through the Department of Education. The director of that program, she had ties with Nicole Kidman's mother. Okay. So I think she got in touch with Keith through that channel and I was able to go and meet Keith before one of his shows and I, you know, handed him a CD with my songs. Good move. Yeah, exactly. Well, I wasn't going to squander the opportunity. No. And he was a really, you know, warm kind of, what you see is what you get with Keith, I think. He doesn't put on a persona or anything like that. Yeah very genuine, authentic guy. And he's a guy that obviously was not famous for most of his life up until, you know, 37. Mm. And of course, he did really well in the Australian scene. But in terms of his global superstar that he is now, he wasn't that until he was 37. So he had a great deal of life experience. And I think that catered to his personality and the the grind he had to go through. He has an appreciation for just how much work is involved. 
And I think that really grounded him and, and that's the experience that I aspire to go through to do the hard yards and to get to the point that, you know, I'll eventually get to. He was completely supportive of me and gave me plenty of time to send him music and gave me advice and inspiration through our emails that we exchanged. And then, of course, you know, as a result of me not putting in the work in my 20s, that dropped off that contact until recently I touched base with him again and sent him some stuff. And surprisingly enough, he got back to me and gave me some wonderful advice and inspiration yet again. So even now, after all this time, he was still willing to give me two minutes of his busy schedule. Yeah. You know, <laughs> which is incredible. So I'm very, very blessed. And I think, you know, it just speaks to the Australian country music scene. I think everyone's so supportive of one another. It's such a fantastic community. I don't think it's like any other music domain. I think country is a very special community, particularly here in Australia. That's a good representation of that, you know, that even guys like Keith Urban, he'll invest time and energy on, on those that are unknown. <laughs> yeah, well, that's become really evident to us over the years of interviewing Australian country music artists. The brotherhood, if you can use that terminology, the camaraderie, the support that's there in place is very evident. Absolutely. Now, you've just released your new single, Drink You Up. Congratulations. We'll have a listen to the track shortly, but there's obviously a story behind the lyrics to the song. How did you come to write it, mate? Look, I suppose in terms of the writing process, and I think it's always interesting to hear people's writing process because everyone has their own kind of way of writing a song. Yeah. Obviously, drawing on personal experience is the easiest way because it seems to be where it really flows. I've been with my wife for 14 years, so a lot of the songs that I'm writing at the moment just seem to centre around our relationship. This song itself, it came to me as I was just cooking in the kitchen because I'm constantly thinking of melodies and hooks and music. Mm. I'm very much driven by melody, and I think if you can write a really good melody, then the lyrics will just come and flow on. Yep. And for me, the melody kind of entered my brain, and, and I just was able to sit down soon thereafter whilst it was still fresh in my mind and just punch out a song in about a couple of hours. And this was about four to five months ago. Mm. The song itself, I mean, you know, like I said, been together for a very long time. We're both working, but young kids, and, you know, there's times where we don't get a lot of time for each other. So the song itself is just, a, you know, cheeky kind of way of describing the thoughts and the feelings of missing my wife throughout the day and yeah, and, and an interesting kind of way of spinning it. Yeah, It's quite clear in the song's lyrics what, what it's about and, and a little bit cheeky as well. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so where to from here for you, Nathan? It's more writing, recording, touring? So no scheduled tours yet, but I definitely have shows coming up. So I've got Temeth Country Music Festival. I've got a few shows that I've yet to announce, but watch this space across my socials for those. And tour will definitely happen once I drop my EP, which will happen mid-next year. And between now and then, I'm going to be dropping three singles just to really give people a taste for what is to come on the EP. And then I'll be scheduling a tour for at least June, July onwards for a couple of months towards the end of next year. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, my plan is to keep writing, obviously, keep collaborating with other artists. And hopefully, you know, through that, I'll, I'll also continue to write and then get to a point where I can put out an album. Fantastic. Now, as is the way these days, obviously, we go online to find out all about you and your music, all the usual socials, I assume, mate. 100%, yeah. You can find me on Facebook under Nathan Lamont and Instagram as well under the same name. And if you're brave enough to go on TikTok, I'm there as well. It's Nathan Lamont Official. Mm -hmm. And I'm across all the streaming platforms as well. Fantastic. Well, it's been our great pleasure and privilege indeed to have Nathan Lamont as our featured music guest artist this week. Nathan, thank you for finding the time to come play on the road with us. 
Look, I appreciate you having me, Andy, and it's been great having you on with you this afternoon, and I hope you have a fantastic afternoon. You too, and we've talked about it, so let's play your brand new single right now. Would you please introduce it for us? Absolutely. This is my debut single, Drink You Up. I hope you guys enjoy it. Cheers, mate. Take care. Just like my first hit of coffee in the morning And first sip of whiskey in the evening Maybe your taste gives me something to believe in And baby it's bittersweet whenever I have to watch you leaving But at least I got someone to be needing And I'm hitting most time that we're bleeding Whenever you're at work and I'm at home I call you on the phone to tell you Hey guys, how you going? As you know, the Trucking Life magazine is back. The best way to get it is to get a subscription and you'll get four magazines delivered to your doorstep. Absolutely action-packed with articles, new riders, some of the old that you probably remember from years ago, old trucks, new trucks, big posters in the middle. There's got to be heaps, so head over to truckinglife.net.au.
Don't miss out. Taking us out this week, it's regular visitors to the show, Felicity Urquhart and Josh Cunningham, with their brand new single, Size Up. Another go round when the wolves are at the door. Threadbare shirt we were poor as death. There was a lot of growing up into. So I put a lot of holes in a lot of belts, walked a lot of miles in a lot of old shoes. When you're wearing a size up, it's gonna make you wise up. You gotta keep your eyes up. Give yourself a little room to grow into. You better just size up. If you're ever gonna Proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. 
The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. 